Praise the Lord. God is good. All the time, God is good. Just want to welcome you to our Sunday celebration service. And um, if you are watching online, a special welcome to you. Um, our God is good. He's going to minister to us this morning. And I just pray that you open your ears of understanding so that we may hear what God has to say. Amen. Amen. Let's just bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit to open our hearts so we can receive from him this morning. Father God, we thank you for the time that you have given us this morning. Once again, to be able to open the doors of this sanctuary that we can come together and worship you, our living God. We pray also for those that are watching online, Lord, that you will minister to them in the same way. For your word is spirit and it is life. Your word is not restricted by space or by time. So we pray that you will minister to them in the same way as you minister to us this morning. We thank you for this opportunity this morning, O oh God. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God's people said, amen. amen and amen. I want us to go straight into the word of God, which is always the best place to start. And our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of John. We are going to read John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. A famous, famous portion of scripture talking about a wedding that took place in Cana. I don't know which translation you are going to be reading from, but I'm reading from the New International Version. And it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But we have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Now, everyone knows that um, preparing for a wedding can be a very stressful thing. It can be a very stressful thing just preparing for the wedding itself. And a lot of people spend a lot of time, a lot of resources, a lot of money into making the wedding preparations because they want the wedding 
to be the best. Everybody wants his wedding. Everybody wants their wedding to be the best. Amen? Now, unfortunately, even after putting all this money, all this time and effort, some things can still go wrong. Some things can still go wrong in spite of our best efforts. And it is a nightmare when things go wrong at a wedding. It's meant to be a special day, a memorable occasion, and everything should be perfect. So here we have a story of a wedding that was attended by Jesus himself, where wine ran out while the party was still on. So the party was now in danger of being spoiled by the shortage of wine. And this was going to be a huge embarrassment to the couple and their families. Now, in Jesus' time, a wedding was something very, very big. Even if it was only in a small village like Galilee, like Cana in Galilee, everyone came to eat and drink. And sometimes the wedding would last for a week or two, depending on you know, what the couple wanted to do depending sometimes on whether they had the wealth to sustain a wedding for that long. It was a great embarrassment if there was a shortage of food or drinks at a wedding. And even today, I think we all want our guests to enjoy the wedding. We don't want them to go away, you know, um, saying, oh, you know, we didn't have enough to eat, we didn't have enough to drink. Now, we simply don't know what caused the shortage of the wine at this particular wedding. But we know for sure that they ran out of wine, which points to the fact that in this life, in spite of our best efforts, things will still go wrong. And we need Jesus to help us. Jesus will always step in to help us when we need him. His hand is not too short to reach us in our time of need. Amen? Amen? We must invite him in all the affairs of our lives, be it birthday parties, graduations, and, and all kinds of celebrations, because he wants to be involved in everything that we do. Secondly, we also see that Jesus himself, on his side, is always ready to meet the unexpected difficulties and challenges of our lives. No one had foreseen that the wine would run out. No one expected the wine to run out, but it did. So things happened. But thankfully, Jesus was present at the wedding, and he performed a great miracle, that of turning water into wine. Amen? Now, before we go into the miracle itself, I want us to look at this little conversation that took place between Jesus and Mary. So as soon as Mary found out that they were running out of wine, she went to Jesus to let him know of the situation. She said to Jesus in verse 3, they have run out of wine. And from the way she said it to Jesus, it would appear as if she was not just telling him that there was no more wine, but she was sort of nudging him to do something about it. From the way he responded, woman, why do you involve me in this? She was essentially prompting him to do something about the situation. So the, 
Jesus responded by saying, why do you involve me in doing this? My hour has not yet come. Now, I know it sounds a bit harsh when we read it nowadays to say, woman, why do you involve me in this? But I want to tell you that it wasn't as harsh as it may sound. Addressing a female as woman was a manner of speaking in those days. And Mary herself understood exactly what Jesus was saying. It wasn't being um, rude. It wasn't being uh, disrespectful. It was a manner of speaking. So what Mary did then was simply to turn her attention from Jesus to the wedding attendants. And she said, do whatever he tells you to do. She would not take no for an answer. She was persistent and she, because she believed that Jesus was able to do something about the situation. How about that for faith? How about that for persistence? You know, when we go in prayer, sometimes we don't get the response that we want and we easily give up, but not so with Mary. And so we give credit to Mary for showing us the first, showing us that the first port of call whenever we have problems in our lives should be who? Jesus. Jesus should be the first person we go to whenever we have issues in our lives. Whenever we're in need of something or when we run out of ideas about something, we should ask Jesus to intervene in our circumstances. So Mary turned her attention to the wedding attendants and she spoke these powerful words, giving them an instruction. She said, do whatever he tells you to do. And just in case you are wondering what is the title of my message this morning, it is those exact same words that Mary spoke as she gave that instruction. Do whatever he tells you to do. Amen? Amen. Can we just repeat that sentence after me? Do whatever he tells you to do. What I don't know is whether Mary really understood the importance of those words as she spoke them. Because I think those are powerful words. They are timeless. Although she was addressing the attendants at the time, those words are still speaking to us today. Would you agree with me there? So if you agree with me, let's personalize that statement now to say, I should do whatever Jesus tells me to do. Okay, let's do that one, once again. I should do whatever Jesus asks me to do. Those words are timeless. They are powerful. They will speak to us today and they will speak to the generations that are going to come long after us. Amen? Those words are echoing at us today that we should also do whatever Jesus tells us to do. In other words, when Jesus gives us an instruction or a word, we don't think about it. We don't deliberate about it. We don't analyze what he's saying. What do we do? We do exactly what he's telling us to do. Now, we are told also that this was the first of Jesus' miracle, and it was prophetic. Prophetic in that he began his miracles at a wedding 
right? And how many know that everything will end at a wedding as well? When Jesus himself is going to come as the bridegroom to take up the church who is his bride. And that will be a glorious wedding. I want to tell you this morning that there will be no shortage of anything. Certainly no wine will run out. Because it will be the wedding of the master himself. The one who created everything that we see. The one who owns the cattle upon a thousand hills. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Will you be at that wedding? Because yes. we are all invited. We are all invited at that wedding. Praise the Lord. Now looking at the miracle itself, that of turning water into wine. We know that the process of making wine is a long process. It takes time. So when the rain comes from heaven, it goes into the earth and it waters the roots of the vine tree. Then the vine produces grapes. The grapes are then harvested and then squeezed, pressed to make wine. And then the fermentation and all these are the processes that come after that. It's a long process which takes time. But here Jesus cut short the time that is needed to produce wine. He simply turned water into wine instantly. That was the miracle. Instead of going through all the different stages of making wine, Jesus immediately turned water into wine. Why? Because time is in his hands. He is not limited by time. He is the son of God. God himself. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. A thousand years are like a day to him, and a day is like a thousand ways, a thousand years. So there's no waiting when Jesus is around. He's the only one who can turn any situation around at the snap of a finger, because nothing is too difficult for him. Praise the Lord. But more importantly, the miracle itself showed that he came to transform the world. Water was changed into wine through a process of transformation. He came to transform our lives. Jesus is the only one who can transform a person's life, a person's character, and turn it into something that nature itself cannot produce. He makes all things new. He says in Revelation 20, 21 verse 5, And he that was seated upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He transformed the fishermen into fishers of men. He transformed Saul into Paul. He has transformed us, you and I, from being unbelievers to the Christians that we are today. Praise the Lord. Because the greatest miracle that he has done is that of changing our hearts, transforming us from inside. The other thing that I want us to note here is that um, the miracle itself did not happen until they had run out of wine. Which means that you and I sometimes have to run out of our natural resources or come to the end of ourselves before God can do a miracle in our lives. We look at the widow of Zarephath. She said, we have nothing left. 
accept this meal which we are going to eat and then we die. But the man of God did a miracle in her life and she did not die as she was expecting. Here Jesus is saying, fill up the jars with water. And the attendants obeyed him. They did exactly what he had asked them to do. Now I want to spend a few minutes on these jars because I think there's a lot that we can learn from these jars. The Bible says there were six stone jars. Not seven. Six stone jars. How many know that seven is the number of perfection? Seven is the number of completion. But here we have six stone jars. Jesus went on to use those jars in spite of their incompleteness. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus wants to use us in our simplicity. He's not waiting for us to become perfect before he can use us. Jesus uses us as we are. Amen? Oh, that should come as good news to some of us here this morning. He wants to use us as we are. He's not waiting for us to become perfect. Now, if we were to become perfect, when would we become perfect, if I may ask? And how would we know that we are now perfect for Jesus? Because we are made perfect in him. We are not perfect on our own. We are made perfect in Jesus. So we have to be used by Jesus in order for us to become perfect. Amen? Look at the uh, disciples that he used. You know, the disciples that Jesus used. They were common fishermen. But he transformed them to become special people. Amen? Why? Because the Bible also tells us that he has chosen the simple things of this world to confound the wise. He has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong. That's why David, was, David managed to kill the giant Goliath with a slingshot. He uses the simple things that we have in our everyday lives. So this scripture, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, if you can put Acts 4, verse 13 for us there, it's talking about the disciples that Jesus used. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, it's not about education, it's not about qualifications, it's not about all those things. They were surprised at how the common fishermen spoke with such authority. The second thing I want us to note about the jars is that the jars stayed the same physically. When Jesus turned the water into wine, did he change the jars? The jars stayed the same. That tells us that, you know, You and I, when we are transformed, we become carriers of God's anointing. We don't change our bodies. We don't change physically. If I may ask those of you that, that are born again, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, did you wake up one morning suddenly taller than you were? Did your color of your skin change because you were born again? Did any aspect of your physical nature change 
because of being born again, I don't think anything changes. But it's the spirit, it's the inner man that changes inside. God is interested in the inside, not the outside. God is happy with the way we look. He has no problems with the way we look physically. Why? Because he is the one who made us. If there's any problem with us, it's his fault. So there's no problem with us. We know that God wants us, loves us the way we are. Praise the Lord. It's not about the looks or any of the things that the world looks at. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, it talks about the anointing of David. Now, those of you that tuned in last week, you will have heard this story being told. But I'm just going to um, summarize it very quickly. God speaks to the prophet Samuel and he says, I have chosen one of Jesse's sons to become the next king of Israel. I want you to go and anoint him because he's going to be the next king of Israel. Jesse fills, um, uh, the prophet fills up his horn with oil and goes to the house of Jesse. And, you know, he introduces himself and tells him why he's there and everything. So then he says, show me your sons because one of your sons has been anointed, has been chosen by God as the next king of Israel. Jesse calls his firstborn son, Eliab. Eliab had it all, you know, he, he, he looked the parts. And uh, the Bible says, when the prophet saw him, he said, surely the anointed of the Lord is here, judging by the way he looked. But God spoke to Samuel and said, I have not chosen him as the next king of Israel. Jesse calls his second-born son, Abinadab. Abinadab also looked well, like uh, Eliab, but God did, had not chosen him. Then he calls the third son, Shammah. Again, God rejected him. All the seven sons were paraded. God said, I have not chosen them. So by this time now, the prophet is panicking. He's thinking, did I come to the right house here? Maybe there's another Jesse down the road. So he says, now, um, are these all your sons? He says, these are all my sons, but there's one that is tending the ship. He says, call him. We will not sit down until he comes. And there comes young David, looking scruffy, you know, with all the sweat. And God speaks to the prophet and says, now anoint him because he is the one that they have chosen. Now I've said all this to come to this scripture that is very important scripture that has ministered to me over the years, ever since I became a Christian, which is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. What does it say? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at, Lord looks at the heart. The Lord is not interested in how we look. He look, is interested in what is inside. Amen? First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 also tells us that our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. Therefore, we should honor our bodies by bringing them to the subjection of Christ, by obeying him and doing whatever he asks us to do. So just to summarize the, 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 the importance of the jars, if you can put the next slide, slide for me, please. 
we know that God is interested in what is inside, not what is outside. Could you put the next slide for me, please? No, the one with the summary of the jazz. But anyway, number one, God is not interested in our imperfections. Secondly, the jars stayed physically the same. They did not change. So you and I will not change because of being saved. And then thirdly, he changed the identity of the jars. See, the jars were containing water, but now they were now containing wine. It's what was inside that changed. The identity of the jars changed because when people looked at these jars, they no longer treated them like ordinary jars. They were now containing something special. So that when you and I are born again, we become carriers of God's anointing. We become carriers of God's presence. Amen? Amen. We looked at the scripture that talked about the fishermen, that they were changed. They now spoke with boldness. They now spoke with confidence because they were carriers of God's anointing. So the wine serves as a type of his grace, which he gives to us generously. His grace is sufficient for us. He gives it to us in abundance, as shown by the amount of water that he turned into wine. Six big jars containing water that was turned into wine. So these guys were left with a lot of wine. Because when Christ gives, he gives generously. He gives out of the abundance of his riches in glory. I want to tell you that these guys really had another party going. The Jesus wine. It was in the Cabinet Sauvignon. It was in the Shiraz. Those that know about wine, I can see you are responding. It was in the, the, the Pinot Noir. It, this was the maker's wine. Special, special wine. Amen? I wish I could have had a taste of it. Through this miracle, the Bible tells us that the disciples believed in him. So the Greek word that they used for that is is. It's just spelled E-I-S, which basically means that they believed right into him. See, it's one thing to believe in someone, but when you believe into someone, that's something special. They believed in him so much that they seemed to submerge themselves in him. They had seen that there was something special about him, but now when he revealed himself through this miracle, they believed right into him. So their weak and watery faith had gained the fullness and richness of the generous wine provided by their master. Praise the Lord. Right, on this, I want to move on to remind us, remind ourselves of why we have to obey Jesus. I know that, you know, before we got born again, we went through all those uh, teachings about what it means to be born again and everything. But sometimes it's worth us reminding ourselves why we should obey Christ. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, and we've got that scripture, it says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. We have to obey Christ because he is the master. When we were baptized into his name, we promised that he would be the captain. He would be the king and master of our lives. He became the Lord and master of our thoughts. So we ceased to be and gave our lives to him. He became the Lord of our lives and there was an exchange that took place. Our lives for his. It was a complete takeover. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 and he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. In other words, we died to the flesh and rose again in Christ and even our thoughts became his. Therefore, we take captive of every thought to make it obedient to Christ. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 tells us that we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, when Jesus is about to bless, he always challenges us to obey him by giving us an order or an instruction. Now today, he's asking us to fill up our jars, whatever that may mean to each and every one of us. But the question is, will we fill up our jars when he asks us to? Will we hearken to his voice when he gives us the instruction? Will we trust and obey him? Because I want to tell you this morning that when Christ is the captain of the ship, we can smile at the storms that come our way. Amen? Secondly, we trust Christ because he is worthy of obedience. The perfect man and perfect God majestic in two ways majestic in those two natures and he's the only one who can claim that title he is worthy because of what he has done for us that whilst we were still sinners he died for us on the cross John chapter 15 verse 18 says this greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends If the attendants at the wedding questioned the instructions that Jesus gave them, maybe they would have simply obeyed, they would have easily disobeyed his instructions. They could have said, okay, we want wine, we need wine. So why is he asking us to fill the jars with water? It's not water that we need. We need wine. Another one could have said, how long is it going to take us to fill up those jars? These are huge jars but they obeyed his instructions. Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. This next point is very important. If you are writing notes, I would ask you to write it down. Obedience is the key to entering God's realm of blessings and abundance. Obedience is the key to entering God's realm of blessings and abundance. It is when we obey Christ that his grace 
we will step into our space and solve the problems that we sometimes face in life. That's why when God, when God spoke to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, he said, For the work that you are about to do, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat from the good of the land. We must be willing to do some work. We must be fully persuaded that God himself is able to do that which he has promised. That's why God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. He said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it before it waters the earth, thus making it bud and flourish, so is the word that proceeds out of my mouth. It will not come back to me void, but it will accomplish every purpose for which I sent it. Can you say amen to that? Another, another portion of scripture that will help us is Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 5 which says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Folks, we cannot understand the ways of God. All we have to do is to obey his voice, obey his instruction. Sometimes it might seem like his command is not applicable to our situation, but we must still obey fill the jars with water even though what you may need is wine. He saw the connection between water and wine which nobody else could see. When he sends us to minister the gospel to others, he's not asking us to first get a college degree or, or any of those things. He wants us to minister as we are. He wants us to use our experiences the experience that we have had in our lives. See, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Paul is saying, I came with much fear, with much trembling and trepidation, but God was using me with what I had at that time. I was not trained, I, I, I had not received any training. I was only testifying of his goodness. And that's what we should do. God wants us to use us. God wants to use us with what we have using the experiences that we have had in our lives. The book of Revelation said they conquered by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies. There is power in us sharing our testimonies. Praise the Lord. So we must be quick to draw the water when he asks us to fill the jars. And lastly, he is our hope. 
Jesus is our only hope. In him all things consist. In him all things hold together. God the Father has seen it fit that he puts everything, that he put everything in his hands. He is the wisdom of God. Who else could have seen that water could be turned into wine apart from Jesus himself? So if we obey him, he will turn our water into wine. Praise the Lord. He will make our situations better than they are. And not only does he give us the water of life, but he also gives us the best of wine so that we can rejoice. Amen. All he wants from us is obedience. John 14, 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show him and show myself to him. We are to trust and obey his voice. Now, I don't know what the Lord is saying to you in this season of your life, but I want to encourage you to trust and obey him because he knows everything. Trust and obey him. He knows everything. Many years ago in Sunday school, we used to sing this song. I don't know if uh, some of you know it. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and praise the Lord. The servant said, we don't see the link between water and wine. But because you have given us this instruction, we will obey. Remember when that time when Jesus appeared to the fishermen, these guys had been fishing all night and they didn't catch any fish. Jesus appears on the scene and he says, lower down your nets. And this is Peter speaking, say, responding now, he says, we have toiled all night. Master, we have toiled all night, but we did not catch anything. Nevertheless, that's a key word, nevertheless, at your word, I will lay down the nets. Do whatever he says. These guys were professional fishermen. They didn't catch any fish. But when Jesus instructed them to try again, we are told that the nets came to the breaking point. They caught so much fish that the nets were breaking. If we want to witness and experience the miraculous power of Jesus, we must do whatever he tells us to do and leave the rest to him. See, the master of ceremony did not know where the wine had come from. But the servants who had obeyed him knew exactly what had happened. Now, we are short of time. I was going to talk about how he speaks to us because uh, it's very important that we know how Jesus is speaking to us today. But one of the ways that he speaks to us is through the word. Because Jesus himself is the word, the word that became flesh. And sometimes he puts some things in our hearts 
that you will just know that this is God speaking to me. I remember one time me and my wife were driving towards Altringham and we were just talking about things and um, this family came to our mind and we said, okay, since we are going to Altringham, we will buy them, you know, a few groceries just to, you know, and pass through and say, you know, hello and how are you and that kind of thing. So anyhow, we got into Altringham, we got carried away, we did what we were doing and we never bought those groceries for, for that family. The following day, we were told that they had lost one of their relatives. And we were gutted, you know, when, when, we, when we got the news. Because we, we knew that God was sending us to them, you know, just to encourage them. It's not about the grocery. It's not about anything that you can buy somebody. It's that thought. The thought that, okay, I'm going through this thing. But uh, there are people that are caring for me. There are people that love me. Because there are always two things that happen when we disobey God. The first thing is that we rob God of his glory. Because God wants to be glorified. It's not about you and me. It's all about Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. And secondly, we also miss out on our blessings. Because God wants, us to, God wants to bless us as we obey his instructions. So God speaks to us in many different ways and also through his word, because he is the word. Like I said, he is the word that became flesh. We are meant to be having these good thoughts all the time, the thoughts of God, like what Philippians says in chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if there is any excellency in or praiseworthy in these things, think about such things. Because that is the mind of Christ. Can you say amen? God is good. So the Lord wants to use us in promoting his kingdom. He wants us to partner with him and be co-workers with him. The servants filled the jars with water and the master turned the water into wine. Now, I will now ask the worship team to come and minister to us. But while they are making their way, I also want you to notice that the turning of water into wine was not the climax of this story. The master of ceremony said, you have saved the best till last. And this is symbolic of the coming of Christ to replace the law. So this miracle also compares Christ with the law. Christ is the best that has been reserved for the last so that you and I can drink of the new wine, the wine of Christ. Now aren't you glad to be living under the new covenant? The covenant of Christ Jesus himself. The best that has been saved till last. Glory to God. I also want to give an opportunity to anyone who has not received Christ as their Savior. Anyone who has not yet received Christ as their Savior. If you are in this sanctuary, I would ask that you raise your hand. The ushers will come and give you some material that will encourage you and take you to the next step. And if you are watching online, could you please type your details in that small box in the comment section? We want to get in touch with you. We'll send you the material that will also help you.
if you want to invite Christ in your life, I'm going to ask you to pray with me a simple prayer, a very short prayer. It's called the prayer of repentance. It says, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for the sins that I have committed in my life. I have sinned against you. I ask that you forgive me. I repent of all my sins and ask that you come into my life. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. In your precious name, I pray. Amen and amen. Now, if you have said this prayer wholeheartedly, Christ has forgiven you and welcome to the body of believers. If you are watching the service online, like I said, please type in your details in the comment box. Once again, remember to do whatever he tells you to do. What was the instruction that Mary gave to the attendants? Again, please. Please, let's remember this. These coming days that we ought to do whatever Christ is telling us to do. Whatever he's telling you to do in your life, we must obey Christ. Amen? Amen. Have a blessed week and God bless you.